welcome to another episode of Beating Alpha. This is episode 88, and we have a very special guest on. Uh, very excited to have him on, and we kind of cover a lot of great topics. So if you're looking for those real estate tips, nuggets, uh, strategies, this is going to be a show for you. Uh, so Ismail Ray, uh, Reyes, uh, he's been actively investing in residential real estate since 2005 and has focused exclusively on multifamily since 2016. He has led MI Real Estate in investing in 10 multifamily properties totaling 382 units and valued at over $24 million. Uh, Ray also provides independent consulting to multifamily investors and is the auto author of a number on one real estate new release on Amazon. Uh, so that's titled Bluff, uh, the bottom line up uh, front about passive, passive, passively investing in multifamily properties. Sorry about that. But uh, listen, all, the, all of that great information is going to be included in the links down below. So make sure uh, go and check it out, uh, mirealestate.us. Uh, that's the website. And of course, connect with, uh, with Ismail on social media. But first of all, I just want to thank you for being uh, today on the show. Oh, it's, a, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's no problem. Happy to connect. Happy to connect. Listen, so um, first things uh, first, right? So 2005, um, you've been actively investing in residential real estate since 2005. So can you talk about your personal journey? I mean, how did you discover real estate investing uh, before the 2005? Yeah, no, great, great question. And, and uh, it is kind of my why, right? So I, uh, I, I'm the kid that uh, growing up uh, uh, liked Monopoly as it's the favorite game. You know, I, I enjoyed the, you know, it just made sense to me uh, in a lot of ways. You know, you, you kind of go through the game, you go around in a circle, but depending on what you do as you go around, uh, the idea is you, you acquire properties, you acquire real assets, and then they start paying you regardless of whether you go around or not. And so it just kind of stuck with me. It just took a while uh, as I as I grew up, uh, you know, went to college and, and then uh, I joined us the service. Uh, so it took a bit to kind of get to where I wanted to go. I had some other passions that I that I really wanted to also uh, take care of uh, military being one of them. But uh, all along, I knew I kind of wanted to be where I'm at and then certainly on, on, on this continued journey. Got it. So, again, Digging in deeper because I like the why thing still. I mean, it's a big part of your journey, continuing, you know, to $24 million, you know, assets under management. So, like, who, like, who gave you that direction, like, that you have to go and follow the real estate path? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, like a lot of us, you know, we, when we start reading, we start looking for, uh, for value. Uh, we, we read some, some key books and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was an eye-opening experience for me. You know, I was going to college. Um, I, you know, I, I had some some notions about real estate, but you know, when you read a book like that, it kind of starts putting things in perspective. The whole notion of cash flow, right? Because I mean, a lot of people work, and you know, their, their their goal is to just work long enough and hard enough to be tired. And it's like, well, what, what's the fun in that? You know, and so you got to you start looking for other options. And so that was kind of you know, kind of what, what led me there. I would say that, you know, I started out doing single family. As I, as I started finishing my military career, it was very apparent that um, it was just uh, uh, very hard to kind of scale to what I wanted, what I needed 
uh, once I once I left the military. You know, you, you, I had options like like all of us. Uh, you know, after a long career, a lot of us in the military just go ahead and do contract work, doing kind of the same kind of things we've been doing. Uh, but you're you're a contractor, and that was one one path for me. Uh, but I had this other thing that I really wanted to do. And, and so in order to, to get there, um, I had my basic needs for my family met, but in order to really create generational wealth, I needed to come up with, with scale. And the way that it, was, it became apparent that I could do so is using the same sort of methodology of single family, but scaling that up to multifamily where you could acquire a, a lot more and just kind of get, get that benefit of the scale. It just, it was, it was just a, you get to a point where you have to figure it, figure it out. And when it became, uh, in my mind, something that done, uh, and I, and I, and the, uh, that I use is real estate syndications, but that vehicle allowed me to get beyond, you know, having only money to, you know, to buy single family into a, into a place where you and I and others could get together and really maximize and buy bigger assets. And that's where, you know, some of these benefits come in because you go through that process of, of the acquisition, but at the end of it, you don't have one home. You have, you know, depending on what you buy up to hundred, 200, 300 units. And that's just, that's just a, a mind boggling difference. Yeah. Okay. So again, uh, as I mentioned before, one of your passions was serving in the military. So again, I like, it's a great, great thing to do for yourself, for your own country. So, you know, even though I'm not, not from States, thank you for your service. Uh, thank you. And again, uh, can you talk about how is that service, uh, you know, how is your time being in uh, military help you to succeed in real estate business? I think uh, part, of, part of it, and this, is, this goes to most militaries, I've had a chance to serve with, with many different uh, uh, militaries from uh, different countries. And, uh, Part of, part of what they teach you and what they grain in you is this, this notion of, of you can do it, right? It, it's like, uh, you know, there's a lot of naysayers out there. You know, a lot of, a lot of people grow up in this, you know, what I, what I like to call this crab mentality, which is, you know, everybody's kind of stuck in the barrel and then whoever tries to get out, everyone else kind of just yanks them back and says, hey, that's, that's stupid. That, you can't do that and kind of brings them back to the, to that that very low level norm, which is not shouldn't be the norm, but it, it happens to be. But very, they teach you to kind of go beyond that, and you you go through a phase where you know you really believe uh, in yourself and 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 able to accomplish um, is is uh, it, it's an eye opening how much more you're able to accomplish than you thought you could. Mm -hmm. uh, and and there's many examples of that for different people. I mean, some people it's you know can you climb up that hundred and 50 foot ladder, uh, you know, if you're afraid of heights, get around it and come back down on the other side. That, that, that in and of itself is, is something that can, for some people, it's just earth shattering. So there's experiences like that, that I think help, help military members, but it's not just military members. I think you, people just have to believe in themselves. And, and part of my journey here, what I want to do is, is show others that it can be done. This is not a difficult uh, thing. It's, it's very similar, like I said, to buying single family. If there's so certainly some difference, but you just have to believe in yourself. And that's, that's number one. 
Beautiful, beautiful. So, okay. So talking about your first, uh, you know, experience in residential real estate, again, you invested, you bought your first deal uh, 2005. So that was not long ago uh, since, you know, like 2008 happened, the, the crisis, the recession. So can you talk about your experience, your transition into, uh, you know, this first investment? Can you talk about your first deal? I'm sure you still remember some parts of it. And yeah. can you just share it? How did it, like, what did it take for you to find that deal, close that deal? And how did you know that, it, that it's, it's a good investment for you? Well, the first deal uh, in 2005 was actually a, a duplex. I had bought some properties before, but it was properties that I lived in. Uh, but this was a, this was a pure investment play. Um, and, and it was interesting because it was, it was a property out right on the outskirts of San Antonio. And it was a, it was a single family cottage and then it had a trailer, uh, a three, two trailer that was in the same property. It was about an acre long, acre, acre big property. Uh, and um, so the numbers checked out. I mean, standard, you start looking at how much, how much rents can you, you can bring in, you, you, you make your deductions for expenses and, and you calculate some, some other things that go into that to, to give you an idea of what your return should be. Um, and so it, it all looked good, but it, you know, like, like a lot of us, we have that first story where it's like, okay, well, that's not exactly what I had planned. But in this case, it's kind of one of those that, you know, you live and learn, but the, 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 uh, the property ha uh, had a septic tank on it. And so we had a regular inspection done, but we didn't have a septic inspection done. Big no-no. And so uh, about, you know, I would say three, four months into ownership, we have a problem with the septic tank. The, you know, the, 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 between the two properties, uh, the people in the trailer uh, actually brought in more than they should have been into in that particular trailer size. They had some more people in it than there should. And the, the septic tank uh, malfunctioned. It was already kind of full and it just kind of malfunctioned. But come to find out that the, uh, that the, the actual municipality changed its rules and I could no longer just fix the septic tank. I had to install a different septic tank, which is an aerobic tank because it was kind of on a hilly area. Uh, and what that did is it eliminated the space that I needed to have the trailer. So it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was one of those where it's like, oh my God, you know, this is, this is crazy. So we were able to negotiate um, somebody to take the trailer out. Unfortunately, you had to do that. Uh, and for part of, you know, part of what we did, the, the person who took the trailer out went, went ahead and paid for this aerobic tank. But in, in essence, uh, so we kind of, you know, scratched there getting, getting rid of the trailer. But in essence, we lost income on that 3-2, uh, which made the numbers not as good as they, they should have been. And in fact, for a lot of years, I kept that property for a while because it was a, it was a, uh, a property that stayed vac uh, full. It, it was never vacant. It was, a, it was a pretty area, but the numbers never did quite catch up with my expenses based off of the loss of that one, uh, that one property. So I guess the lesson learned in all that, you know, we made it work and for tax purposes, it was good. And we actually sold that property. It's been maybe three years now since I sold it. So we kept it for, for quite a while. Um, but the lesson learned is that, you know, you have to make sure that you talk to others that are, that are investing in those type of, in the properties that you want. And in this case, we've been investing in properties in cities. This was the first time we kind of went outside a city and had to deal with a septic uh, issue, you know, and, and so that's a lesson. And the other lesson is obviously uh, with only two properties there on any given point in time, if we would have had them both, 
uh, when one drops out, you still, you, you have 50% occupancy, right? That's kind of the other thing with, with smaller properties. When you get into multifamily, and this is kind of something that really kind of uh, resounded to me uh, later on is like the, the more properties you have, the less you have to worry about, you know, vacancies of one or two or three units because all the other ones still continue to pay in, which is, which is a lot less risky in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So talking about again, 2005. So you got the issue with the septic tank. So have you bought uh, any other residential, you know, properties until the 2016? Yes, we bought. Uh, so I, I bought a couple of others. In fact, I uh, just before I started uh, really focusing on multifamily, I bought a couple of properties. This was right after um, this was right after the recession. Mm -hmm. uh, of 2008. It was actually, I think, 2011 when I purchased. We were in, in uh, I was actually overseas in Mexico. That was my first experience buying uh, uh, a property while I was outside of the States. And so you just kind of go through that process. Uh, and uh, I still own those properties. They did very well. Obviously, we bought right. And that, that's, that's a, a key tenant. No matter what you're acquiring, you have to acquire right. And in this case, uh, we, we did. We were able to acquire it at very good prices. Uh, as a lot of people were still not, uh, you know, willing to invest uh, in, 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 in residential real estate. And, and my, my one, you know, regret, I guess, is, is not doing more of that because that that, those, were, those were fantastic deals. And, and, and we're not going to see those deals. I mean, even now, people are like, oh, my God, we're in a recession and, you know, prices are going to go down. Well, it's a whole different place. We, we have a, a, an excess in demand and not enough supply. And it's, it's actually getting worse. So it's never going to be a place where you can just go somewhere and just pick a house and you're going to make money on it. You, you really got to do some, some, uh, some analysis at this point. Make sure you're, you're getting it right. Got it. Got it. So my impression was exactly it because I thought in my head it was like you're buy and hold investor, you know, because you're just looking to buy the properties and keep them long term, right? Because most of the deals, like you still have them, you carry through the deal with the septic tank issue, you know, and you sold it like three years uh, you know, from, from now, like back. So, so that's pretty, that's pretty cool because that's the way to grow your wealth at the same time, right? Slowly, but surely by holding on the properties. So, that's correct. I yeah. would say the only difference is that we, there are different strategies that, that we use those syndications, mm -hmm. for example, you don't buy and hold forever. You buy and, and you hold for about five to seven years, yeah. depending on the asset. But ultimately within those seven years, you really squeeze a lot of the depreciation and the, and the tax benefits out of that property. And then you basically move into a bigger asset, you can, or you can also refinance that asset and hold it for longer term. I would do that if, uh, if, if, it's, a, if it's a class B asset, a newer asset, where you can just definitely hold on for longer. Um, so yeah, buy and hold, it's kind of a notion of how long. I mean, it's not until they, you know, they, you know, 40 years down the road, although some people, you know, there's, there's some, out, some houses out there that owners have had forever. <laughs> but the, in order to kind of squeeze the, the benefit on it, you really kind of have to do, do the work yeah. and, and, and move on to something bigger. But it is, it's not a fix and flip where you're buying and six months later, you're, you're getting rid of it and yeah. you got all these, yeah. these other issues with taxes and capital gains and everything else, yeah. uh, short-term capital gains anyway. Yeah, De definitely. Yeah. So we, that's exactly what you mentioned. Like with the multifamily investing is a little bit uh, different, you know, holding period five, seven depends on the strategy, you know, and like underwriting all of that. But uh, again, can you talk about your transition going like, 
again, 2005, you started your journey in real estate, you know, residential investing, and then you moved 2016 to commercial. So can you talk about your experience and that transition? Like, what did you do in that time to kind of educate yourself? And what type of resources have you consumed to, you know, to put yourself in that position where you're able to invest in multifamily deals? Great question. So yeah, I, I think uh, really, Right around 2016, I was getting towards the tail end of my career and I knew I wanted to make a change. I knew that single family was not going to be the way to do it. So I was kind of doing some, some digging and I was talking to folks and this whole notion of syndications came up. So it took me a while uh, to kind of, kind of wrap my head around that. And, 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 and certainly, for, you know, it's not a difficult concept. In fact, I, you know, part of the book that I wrote is exactly to explain that because it, it, it feels like it's difficult, but it really isn't. Uh, but once I kind of got my head around it, one thing I did want to do, and, and just based on my experiences, I wanted to ensure that I was, you know, acquiring properties that met my criteria before I went out and I started looking and working with other, other people on, on properties that they were, you know, they were the main operator or the, the syndicator in, because I was still active duty. There was no way that I was going to be actively involved in, in, you know, in, in a multifamily property, but uh, what I could do, and, and this is something that I, that is definitely a, a pathway is I could invest passively in a real estate syndication. Um, and believe me, and, and there were some jobs where, you know, it was night and day. My, you know, my, my last 2016, 17, I was, I was working overseas. There was no way that I was going to be able to, you know, to do a multifamily acquisition and be part of what's considered the general partnership where you're actively involved in that deal. There's just too many moving pieces. Uh, but it was great to be able to still get the returns on that passive investment. So that was kind of my mechanism. I figured, okay, I can't do active. I want to at some point, but in order to get there, I better understand it. As a passive investor, able to you know work with that those operators that I was that 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 I was investing with and able to get some knowledge from them. Uh, and it, it isn't a lot. It's a lot of terminology. Different. There's some different terminology, I guess I would say. But for the most part, the, the biggest concepts are the same. Uh, I guess one of the biggest differences you, when you're doing single family, what matters the most is you, you, you're running comparables. You're looking at what other properties are worth and what, what they sold for in, in that neighborhood where you're potentially going to acquire a new property. That's kind of how you, you gauge what it costs. Multifamily, the difference is, is how you value it, right? So in multifamily, you're taking that net operating income of that asset, and that's what's driving its price. Uh, so you could have, you know, two properties next to each other. One is managed poorly, uh, and it's making a lot less money. It's worth a lot less. It may even be a better property, but the fact that it's not, you know, it's not giving the, the uh, net operating income of the one next to it means that it's worth less. And so that's, that's the key difference. But I, but I like that because you're able to just kind of like in a fix and flip, you're able to make value where maybe there wasn't, it wasn't there before. Uh, and so, so that, that's kind of one of the biggest things you kind of get your head around is how, you know, how, how you value property so you can do the underwriting and the analysis of these acquisitions. And so I had to learn the terminology. I had to learn how to underwrite uh, multifamily properties, a little bit different, but you know, if you know how to use Excel and you know how to do some, some basic math, you can get a very, get very good at just using those tools to give you the numbers that you, that you, that you need to be looking out for. Mm -hmm. uh, and so passively investing. And then once I got out, then I was able to transition into a general partnership in multifamily. Got it. So from those 10 deals that you have currently, how many of those deals are you involved as a, as a GP? 
uh, three at this point. Three, there's, uh, I'm actually working on my fourth room right now. So I'm happy about that. Got it, got it. So can you talk about the first, uh, first deal as being a GP? What, what was that experience like? Because, you know, like stroking a check and, you know, giving it to somebody that you trust with, you know, it's a different thing. And again, the terminology, you kind of, I heard people talk about that a lot, that they learn about the business insights, you know, by being a limited partner at the same time. So that's a good way to go about. But what was your experience like being a general partner in the first deal? Yeah, no, good, good. I mean, I, I think uh, it was a great question. And I think what, uh, what kind of set it apart for me is I knew I wanted to get there. And my mindset from the very get go is how do I get there? So when I was when I finally had the time, then I already had some notion and some level of connectivity of networking to be able to, to make that transition a little bit faster. And in fact, even before I was finally out of the military, they kind of give you about six months to kind of do all the things that you need to do before you retire. And so I took that, took advantage of that time to really work the networks. And I was very forthcoming with people. I said, this is what I want to do. I mean, I, I've done some passive investments. I have a master's in business. I spent 28 years in the military. And, and so I have some, some value that I could add to your organization. And so, and oh, by the way, I have some money because I took some of the money from my single family assets and I turned those into, I sold it, sold those, and I had cash that I could bring into a deal. So it's one way to kind of walk into that general partnership potentially with, with, with a team that so, so I, I worked with some people that, you know, and I was, I was very forthcoming about what I wanted to do. Uh, and I met them at a conference and a couple of weeks, I'd say probably about a, a couple of months later, I got a call say, Hey, we have an opportunity. Are you interested? And so it, it was fantastic. So what I, what I wanted to do and what I enjoy doing most for these, although I understand the underwriting aspect, what I wanted to do was be more on the front end, on the marketing side of things. I wanted to be the ones that, that assisted in, in, in raising that passive investor capital because I understand that. Uh, and I knew what I, you know, what, how it worked for me and I can kind of translate that and, and use that to, to help raise that capital. Uh, and then just doing the investor relations all the way through, we, through the exit of that deal, whether it's five to seven years, whatever that is, just maintaining that connectivity with, with the investors that, you know, that, that I was able to help bring on board. And so I, that was kind of what I added in that deal. And that's kind of what I've been focusing on. And so I allow other people and kind of the way I've structured my, my, my business is I, I, I work with other partners that are, are sourcing deals that are working with brokers. Uh, and then I, I assist them and I become part of their team and I assist them in taking these, these uh, acquisitions down. Mm, got it. All right. So talking about the investing criteria, I would like to ask a question. Again, having currently three deals as a GP and having the fourth one on the way, which I'm sure you're going to close, you know, soon. Uh, like, can you talk about the states uh, that you're investing in currently and the states that you're looking forward to invest? Yes. Uh, so I, 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 uh, I'm, in, I'm in Orlando, Florida. Um, and uh, not just because I'm here, but it also is a, you know, Central Florida is a great market. Um, there are some questions about, you know, the effects of COVID. But you have to take these, these large MSAs, we call them like, you know, metropolitan areas, uh, and you have to kind of take them out in markets. So to make sure that you're, you're really knowing and understanding what's happening, not just in the, in the large MSA, but in these submarkets. And so there are pockets in Orlando, for example, that are, that are still very good uh, investment areas. You know, there's high tech. There's, you know, in fact, where I live, you know, I'm closer to the space coast where you have SpaceX and some of the other activity than I am to downtown Orlando and certainly the, the Disney parks. Right. And so 
So you just have to kind of break that down. I like Central Florida a lot, uh, all the way, you know, down to Tampa on the west, all the way to the east coast, like I mentioned, to the Space Coast. And you have a large quarter there, uh, and you have deep water ports on both sides of that. And so you have uh, injects into that, into Florida, and, you know, up and down Florida, all the way up to the peninsula, uh, not, not all the way down the peninsula, up to the, uh, what I would call, uh, you know, Jacksonville and some of the Gulf Coast areas of Florida. Uh, that 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 those uh, the, that large rail movement from ships is getting property out to, and then of course, then you have Amazon and others that are going doing the last mile stuff. So uh, I really like that. I like the pro business aspect of Florida. I like Texas. So just kind of shifting over. I like Texas. Uh, Texas recently, you know, we signed a U.S. Mexico Canada trade agreement. People sometimes forget that China is not our biggest trading partner. It's Mexico and Canada. Those are the two. They're the closest ones. So having that, you know, and then coming in from, from, uh, from uh, Mexico into Texas, into the main lines of communication there, I love San Antonio. I love Houston. I'm looking into Dallas as well. Just great, great markets that are going to be, that are being helped because not only are they pro-business, but you have a lot of trade that's coming through there that creates jobs and opportunities. Uh, so Texas is good. Uh, Atlanta is also good. Just a big, big MSA. Um, as well. So there's a, there's a lot of activity, a lot of corporate headquarters in Atlanta. So those, those are some huge markets. And, and now I'm kind of dipping, dipping my toes in a little bit further into the Midwest. Uh, Nashville, outskirts of Nashville look good. Nashville kind of suffered with COVID, but what's happening with, with, uh, with uh, what COVID has kind of triggered is a lot of people that are kind of moving outside the core of these cities and wanting to go out a little bit further. They, they want more space. They want bigger properties. Uh, may, they may be working from home. They certainly don't want to be in these high rises. And so they're, they're kind of moving out and it's, it's causing a lot of urban sprawl, suburbia, if you will, to kind of come back again, like, like it was in the past. And so we're trying to take advantage of some of those demographic changes. And, and Nashville is, 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 uh, is interesting because it's the largest metropolitan state, uh, area in, in a five state, uh, you know, sort of ge geographic zone. So it's, it's, it's pretty huge. And so, that that's another market we're looking into heavy now. Got it, got it. So when it, when it comes to the deals itself, can you talk about your underwriting process and what type of deals are you looking for in these markets? Sure. I, I think right now a lot of us are kind of shying a little bit away from uh, from the the more opportunistic uh, type type of investments and looking more at at you know at the very least solid C plus assets. Uh, and preferably B, B, B assets. And the reason for that is obviously COVID has, has really hurt a lot, of, a lot of the tourism industry. And what, what you have in the tourism industry is a lot of lower income workers that are, that are suffering right now. And so uh, certainly it makes it hard to, you know, from a business position, when you have to really consider increased vacancies, that has to kind of factor in. So you can't raise revenue. You can't really do the what we call value add, which is the you know the multifamily equivalent of a fix and flip for single family. Can't really do that right now because you, you're not going to be able to raise rents. And so, uh, a lot of people are are looking at properties that are at least stabilized, and and then shifting that value add into like year two, year three, to and at that point then looking potentially to to drive up uh, rents a little bit based on you know being out of out of COVID and you know potentially coming out of that recession. And, and one thing that we have to remember is that multifamily did well, even, even in the last recession where there was an excess of supply. 
And so we, we will consider to, we'll continue to see that, uh, especially considering some of the scarcity as it relates to housing at this point. So we don't expect a huge drop off, uh, but, but, but rents will be flat for a while and, and it makes sense. I mean, obviously people are gonna be struggling somewhat and, and, and certainly more in that C class. Okay, so talking about management, do you have your own in-house management team or do you hire a third-party management? I do. So the way I structure my business, I kind of outsource just about everything. It's just a core function for me. And, and then I outsource using different methods. I use Upwork. I use Fiverr, depending. I have my own, uh, you know, my, my own big bookkeeping uh, and, and tax, you know, consultants separate. But, but I keep it very small because I want to keep it flexible. Uh, but, you know, there are ways to run this differently. And, and I recognize that some people inherently want to vertically integrate other things. You can, you can grow your business. And then on top of that, you can, you can create new businesses that support your, that existing, you know, business. So, uh, for example, I know some folks that uh, they just uh, vertically in, integrated into a property management company. So now they, they have the asset, they acquire the asset, so they do the asset management, and then they have a property management company. Mm -hmm. that feeds in. And sometimes that gives you also additional scalability. But in my case, I, I'm, I'm strictly keeping myself kind of in a, a small on purpose and looking for that flexibility that comes with being able to move with the market. Mm. So when do you think it's a, it's a time again from um, maybe the conversations that you had with the people in your network before, when it's kind of like, like a good time or a strategy to, to have the in-house market, in-house uh, you know, management team? I think it, it depends on how fast you want to grow your business and it, it depends on what you want to do in the long run. In my case, for example, you know, I retired out of the military. I'm, I'm in uh, my late forties. I am not looking to grow an empire. So I'm looking to build generational wealth and I'm doing it in a way that is incrementally done. If, if your goal is to, is to grow, you're young and you can, you can afford to, you don't have a family, for example, of your, or you're, you know, the, you're still in that, in that phase where you're kind of growing things, then you may want to look at some different alternatives where you start partnering with others and you partner in a way where it's not just on deals, a little bit more transactional, but you actually partner and you create, you know, larger entities so that you can then uh, grow your business. So I, so for example, some folks can easily take their, you know, their, their business, this business, and then combine it with a, a, a larger capital uh, company. And now you've got, you know, you've got your acquisition, you've got a capital company that's focused and already has uh, the, 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 a lot of the money that you need to do some of these things. So it, it creates some, some synergy and you can certainly grow faster. Uh, but the process is pretty much the same. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I, I think it, it's just a function of how you want, you know, what your vision is for your company and what you, what you want to do. But there are certainly ways to be in this business and, and grow it a lot faster. Um, and there are ways that you can do it in a way that is a little bit more uh, slower and a little bit less risky, if you will, because you're not, you're not, you're not growing that, you know, that tail that comes along with, 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 uh, with a larger act, you know, company. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. So talking about uh, building wealth and at the same time, part of it is a lot of it, actually, a lot of it is giving back which is actually that that's what you did with your book uh, that's on Amazon, you know, Bluff, uh, the, bottom, uh, the bottom line up front. So can you talk about the book itself, what people should expect uh, when they're going to get the book? Yeah, so I think that the, the whole notion of the book is, is basically a no-nonsense, 
here's what you need to know how you go about investing passively. And it, it kind of talks to people that, um, and to the right people, I think, because I, you know, for example, military folks, we're moving around all the time. So you can't necessarily want to be the traditional landlord because, you know, you may be in one place, you know, today and next thing you're, you got to go somewhere else for, for six, seven months. So it, it kind of speaks to specific people, the, the busy professionals, the people that may be traveling. Uh, and it also talks to people that are, that have been, been around and done the single family for a while. But the, the book is, 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 uh, so the term bluff comes from, it's a, it's a military term. I know there's some, some other uses, but, uh, it's it's a it's a military term that means that you're giving your boss a a very fast summary, almost like an elevator speech, if you will, or an elevator pitch before they go into doing whatever else they have that's very important. So we call it a bluff, and that's exactly what this is. There's not a lot of you know additional stories and you know a, a ton of examples. It's really a how-to, and uh, you know from start to finish, and how you what that process looks like, and. Uh, you know, there could be more that go into that book for sure, but at that point, then it's not really, it's not, it's not meant as a, you know, bottom line in the front and then becomes a, something else. Because that was my goal, is creating something that was, that was readable, that was short enough, that people that really weren't looking to become, you know, you know, you know, long-term landlords or, or people that wanted to focus on potentially investing in, in real estate, but they didn't want to be real estate people, right? You know, you got your other things that you got going on in your life. How can you do it? That's the point of it. Makes sense. Great book, by the way, it sounds. And again, I'm, I'm happy that you clear, uh, cleared out the bluff meaning behind it. So now it, it makes more sense. Yeah, but, but that's, that's great. So definitely we're going to link the, the book uh, in the description somewhere there so you can find it and grab it on Amazon. Make sure you do that. Uh, the question again for you, uh, $24 million uh, AUM currently, and again, have another deal kind of coming in right now. So what is your personal like strategy and what do you have currently going on in the pipeline? Are you planning to acquire more deals this year? And what do you think is going to happen next year for your own business? Yeah, no, great questions. I, I, so, you know, when I, when you go into a year, just like a lot of us, we, I, I had a plan of here's how I want to grow and here's how much what I want to do. And then of course, COVID hit and kind of have to adjust. And we understand it. It's just like, using another military analogy, you know what, you, you can have the best plan, but the minute you encounter the enemy, the plan's gonna go, go to hell in a handbasket and you gotta go from there, right? But at least you have a plan. And so, so I had a plan that I wanted to grow to a certain level, but you know, most importantly, and more, you know, more importantly than the numbers is really sustainability, right? So I had assets that I had to make sure that I had to focus on along with my partners to make sure that we, we, we took care of those and make sure that they kept uh, providing the type of return investors. We held uh, some of the returns for a little bit just as a safe safeguard. We really didn't need to, but we, you know, some of the distribution, we were very clear with our, with our investors, like we're going to hold this for a little bit just to make sure because the most important thing to an investor is just you're safeguarding their capital. Yeah, it's great to make money. Uh, you want to make money, but more importantly, you know, they want to make sure that at least they don't lose what they, what they have. Uh, and so, you know, that, that was key. So that kind of slowed things down a little bit. As far as what, uh, what, what I'm looking at in the future is um, it, it's, it's become less about the numbers. It's more about making sure that any acquisitions that we make continue to, to perform, even in this environment. Um, and so just a little bit slower. One thing I am doing a little bit differently, just as you were you know, talking about different you know, acquisitions, this, this latest acquisition is a built to rent 
uh, property. It's a smaller property, but I, but I, 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 I like the thought of it because when you think about development, development, property development is nothing more than a longer term value add. You're going from dirt to a finished product. That, there's value being created there. Just like if you take a property that's kind of you know, broken down a bit and you fix it, you're, you're creating value. So it, it actually works well in this environment because there is sort of this, this idea that it makes sense to wait at least a few years before you, you start looking at ways to sort of uh, you know, increase rents and, and really drive things too far. I tell you that in the place that we're looking, uh, I don't want to get too close because some of the regulations that I'm working with on the raise here, but uh, you, know, you have in the outskirts of it, uh, in the main metropolitan area, you have a 34% tax increase because there just is not coming enough coming into the, into the metropolitan area. So they had to raise property taxes. Those people are going to go somewhere yeah, because not only are people going to look to buy outside of that area just to, to avoid that property tax, but those owners, that those landlords are going to have to pass on those costs as much as they can to the renters in those areas. And so we're, we're sort of looking and we're buying in places where we can continue to maintain rents lower uh, because we're buying at the right price uh, that we don't have to worry about, you know, some of the, some of the madness going on as far as some of the, uh, some of the rates, uh, as far as property taxes go. So it's a, it's a good proposition because I think renters will appreciate the fact that, you know, that it's brand new. Um, it's, and it is, they're larger units than we're used to. So these are three, uh, two and a half or two, two and a half with garage. So a little bit different than your typical multifamily where you're looking at two ones, uh, you know, uh, primarily, and then maybe some, some two twos and some, and some one ones and one twos, and maybe a couple of three units in there and sprinkled in. Before we connected, uh, I seen you all over the place, you know, doing multiple podcasts. Uh, so again, you're meeting all these great people, being on the shows and you're talking about the business and you know, how you're gonna develop it, how you're gonna grow it, again, your passions. So, but what is the one thing that you want to always people to remember about you? Uh, the most important thing is that, that I'm doing this because I really love what I'm doing. I'm passionate about it. It doesn't feel like work and I, I'm happy. And, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that will, 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 will agree and will, will say, yes, I, that's true. Is that I am happy to get on the phone with whomever and talk about this at, at no cost. It's like, here's, and you know, a lot of times they're like, listen, uh, I gotta go, you know, because I, I can just continue on talking about this topic because I, I really do enjoy it. So I think that's the biggest thing. And wherever I can help, uh, I, I really enjoy doing that as well. I think that's part of, part of why, you know, I, I joined the military in the first place. I felt like I could help that way. Um, and certainly in the multifamily space, you're part of a team, which I also really enjoy. It's kind of very similar, not quite like being in the military, but there is still a lot of teamwork involved in taking down these properties. But more than anything else, I really enjoy it. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy to help. Got it, got it. And now I'm a little bit scared because uh, I might be sounding like those people that you said that they have to go because we, we kind of have to go because that was almost <laughs> the last question that I had. But uh, I kind of have the last question, um, you know, for you is, uh, again, I would love for people to get in contact with you because, I ha again, you, you have a good spirit, which people can feel. And again, a lot of knowledge when it comes to real estate investing. And I think a lot of veterans who are watching this episode could, could take advantage of your experience and you know your knowledge and insights and you know by just contact you personally so i would love them for for i would love them to to do that so what will be kind of your main social platforms for people to to come in and reach you out yeah so if on my website 
mirealestate.us. There's, there's, I have all of my platforms uh, listed on there. You can also reach me through the website. And in fact, uh, I'm uh, for the first five people that reach out after they hear this podcast that uh, communicate, send me an email or get a hold of me into one of my platforms. Uh, a book and then if it's uh you know i'll send them a paperback if it's in the u.s if it's outside the u.s i'll send them an ebook i don't know that it, there's some folks in ireland that may be interested but uh, definitely so definitely so for that. so for the next four people because of course i'm going to be the first one because uh <laughs> <laughs> that's that's before the share uh, the, the show airs out so uh hey i have to take advantage of it so Absolutely. so th that's awesome i mean a lot of great insights information and i just love the the passion and, you know, of course, there is a lot of behind the scenes, you know, uh, work that is involved into building this business. So you definitely should contact with Ismail and ask, again, those great questions. How do you are involved in the real estate as a GP or LP or whatever that might be? So make sure to pass it along this message to a friend of yours who, who do you think will take advantage of this content, which, which I know he or she will. Again, a lot of great, great insights, great nuggets. So I really appreciate that time today, Ismail. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take no care problem. of yourself. No problem. Thanks. And again, for you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, as, I, as I said, just share it with your friends. Make sure to contact with Ismail on social media channels that are linked down below. And as always, I'm going to see you in the next episode. Thanks for watching.